Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon everybody, everybody gathered here today, especially with a deeper gift, a deeper gift in the understanding of the gift of marriage. Please help us know that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that is how the two become one flesh. And this is not a condemnation, but it is a gift in all things. And we ask all this through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as we all pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. When we look at our Gospel reading today, it's very apparent that a lot of questions are being asked. A lot of questions are being asked. But I think the questions that we need to ask in, this, in our gospel today, in light of this secular world, and the secular world means people that are indifferent towards Christianity, are indifferent towards truth. The question we need to ask, first question is, what makes Christian marriage different than a secular marriage, or a marriage when it's underneath just at, let's say, a courthouse? What makes it different? And hopefully, we know it's because there's a covenant. And a covenant is the opposite of a contract. So a contract is just an exchange of goods. And you can see that when, when people just exchange a good or, or whatever they do. And then in our, in our world, we believe, in the Christian world, that it's an exchange of persons. And that's what makes it a covenant. And God wants to make a covenant with us. That's why he sent his only son to save us in in the person of Jesus. So what ultimately makes marriage different in the Christian world, ultimately in the Catholic world, is that marriage is a covenant. It's an exchange of persons where a husband says to his wife, my job is to get you and those little buggers to heaven. And the wife says, my job is to get you, oh man, is it hard to get you to heaven, right? But that's the whole point. It's an exchange of persons. When the priest says, this is my body, when Jesus said, this is my body on the cross, he's, it's, it's a wedding, right? He's giving up his body to sacrifice for his beloved. John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. That's ultimately shown in marriage. So we have to know that a covenant is an exchange of persons. Then the second question we have to ask is, we just heard in the, in the first reading where, Jesus, or where, the, where God talks about marriage being between one man and one woman, one woman, and the two shall become one flesh, right? And then Jesus echoes that in the gospel, and he said, they ask about divorce. And Jesus says, in the beginning, it was not so. For God created the male and female, right? But then after they ask about divorce, and I'll get into that a little bit, when they ask about divorce, what does he do? He places a child in their midst. Why in the world would Jesus place a child in their midst when it comes to marriage? Well, we have to know when two become one flesh in marriage, when they become united and they procreate and have a child, everything changes. Imagine, or reimagine, when you saw your first child being born. Maybe your thought was, oh my gosh, what in the world am I going to do with this thing that I have no idea what to do with it, right? Or maybe you're just at such awe to see, husbands to see your wife go through that pain of, and labor, and you're like, this is just an ounce of how God feels about me, how much he loves me, and immediately 
some people, they just love that little baby. And Jesus places a child in their midst, and people are bringing children to say, remember, parents, that parenting doesn't end until the day you die. And when you had your child baptized as proof that you don't have it all figured out, that you need a family, a family of faith to help to raise this little bugger, right? And you promised that you would raise them and train them and do your best in the faith. And man, is that tough, especially in our secular world. But that child should be a reminder of what the point of marriage is. And the point of the nuptial union is, is to have children. And those children aren't really here <laughs> as much as they used to be. Because we've seen a culture be just inundated with contraception, not seeing children as gifts. And we've seen just the cost to even have a child go skyrocket. And we live in that culture of death that doesn't love children anymore. Right? So we have to ask ourselves, what are some good habits that we can start forming and handing down to the generations to come to say, this is extremely important to be married and be Catholic and to have a love for Christ because we, hopefully we know in the church it takes three to get married. Right? It takes three to get married. There's another reason what makes it different. It takes a husband, it takes a wife, and it takes Jesus. Right? And he always has to be at the center of everything we do. And I've had been lucky enough to look at some people in my life, and I want to share some stories of some things they do with their children, and maybe you can pick them up or say, maybe we should start doing that or stop doing that or whatever. But there are people who have had good habits or started good habits that have solidified the love for their children, right? And one, th one person who's been just a role model for myself is my oldest brother, PJ, and his wife, Jen. And one thing they've done since the girls were born, and my sister-in-law, by the way, she's a convert to the Catholic faith, and when she had her kids baptized, she said, I, I'm really going to do my best to raise these little, little buggers in the Catholic faith. And one thing they do is they pray with the girls every single night. And from the day they were born, pretty much, they knelt at the side of their bed or the crib. They taught them their Our Father, the Glory Be, the Hail Mary, the Memoir, the St. Michael Prayer, the Jesus Prayer, all these prayers. They taught them the power of petitions to intercede for those around the world, and to be more concerned about others instead of about themselves. And isn't our world just kind of full of ourselves? We just think about ourselves all the time. And they're trying to teach them how to be selfless and not to be selfish, right? And it doesn't mean they don't have problems. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But they're trying to do the best. And now what they're starting to do with the girls is going through the Gospels and reading the Word of God with them. And they encourage them to ask questions. They encourage them to ask questions. And isn't, and isn't peculiar, peculiar that in our gospel today, there's just question after question after question after question. And we have to say, if I don't understand it, I have to ask questions. That's normal. One other uh, person in my life is my other brother, Nathan, and he lives in Dubuque, Iowa. And when he had his first child, it wasn't too much later that him and his wife, unfortunately, had a divorce. And he went through the annulment process, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But now his new wife, Amelia, she is not Catholic. And one thing she encouraged him to do with, the, with his first daughter, and now the two boys that they have, is to work on spontaneous prayer. So we have to ask ourselves often, am I praying to an idea, or am I praying to a person? So when I pray my glory bees, when I pray my Our Fathers, am I realizing that I'm communing and talking with a living being? Or is it just rote words? 
right? For somebody who's not Catholic, our rote prayers, which by all means don't hear what I'm not saying, they're really important. But if we don't pray them from the heart and realize that they're directed towards a person, it's very unattractive. So we have to know that our prayers are taught our conversation with God and they promote with their children to talk to God out loud that because he's real, right? Now, if we just say prayers and we just say, our Father, glory be, hail Mary, it's like unattractive, right? But if we know the person we're praying to and hopefully have that personal relationship with Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the Father and we're talking to them, it should sound like a conversation. So that's one thing they do that's really impressed me. My parents were really, um, there was a lot of tension in my own family growing up. My mom was born and raised Lutheran. She became Catholic. It took until I was about 25 until she, I would say, really jumped into the Catholic faith and started being all in. But one thing they did do at mealtime is we weren't able to eat food until we said something we were grateful for. No gratitude, no food. So we went on the table and each person had to say what they were grateful for that day. And if the person couldn't do it, you didn't get any food. And some people say that's a little mean. Well, my parents are pretty strict. And if we complain about the food, my dad would say, there's a door. You can go next door and ask the neighbor to feed you. And they tried to have some fun with us, but also say, like, be grateful for what you have before you instead of wondering what else is there, right? And I've seen families here do some really impressive things, too, that has made their marriage stronger, has helped their children see what it looks like to be Catholic I've seen some families say what saves our marriage and shows our children what Catholic people do is they go to confession once a month as a couple. And the kids sit outside of the confession and they see mommy and daddy going to confession once a month. I've seen some families do a family rosary and they light a candle. One kid gets to light the candle and when the rosary is done, the other kid gets to blow it out. And then sometimes they have, after each decade of the rosary, they think of who can we pray for or what can we pray for. If you look at our culture, look at our world, there's so many things to pray for. People with cancer, people that have struggling marriages, families who have kids who are bullied at school, right? Tons of things to pray for. I've seen some families where they have the gospel on their coffee table and they read it every week. And they're preparing themselves for the upcoming Sunday. I've seen some couples, they go to our adoration chapel and they do a holy hour together in silence before the God who they brought, they believe brought them together to thank him and praise him and pray for their own children. I know some couples here, they literally pray over, lay hands on, and pray over their spouse and tell them how much they love them and tell them how much they want God to bless them. And they've talked about how it should strengthen their marriage instead of pull it apart because we heard in our gospel today what God has brought together, no, no human being must separate. And that's what I want to talk about next, is the ugliness of divorce. I've seen divorce growing up almost too much, almost too much. Neighbor, across the street, divorce. Right across the street, divorce. Up the road, divorce. The family that lived behind me, divorce. My best friend's parents, divorced. And like I said, my brother's divorced, right? And we have to know what the church teaches on annulments. And the word annul means to search for where there was no longer a true marriage. And for a marriage to be a true marriage, it has to fulfill four things. So I'm going to go a little bit of catechesis here, but it has to fulfill four things in order for a marriage to be a marriage. It has to be free. 
You have to be free. You can't be coerced into doing it. But it also means you can't be addicted to things like pornography and drugs. You can't be an alcoholic and be free and enter into a marriage. That's not freedom. But also if the person's like a narcissist or the person um, is bipolar or has some chemical imbalance, they're not truly free to enter into marriage, right? You have to be total. You have to be able to give yourself completely to the other person. You can't be holding anything back. So when you do your marriage prep, you can't be lying on those sheets. You have to be honest. To know that the Lord's not going to judge you, but he's going to point you in a better direction. You also have to be faithful. If the couple getting prepared for marriage, marriage is unfaithful and they're constantly committing adultery, 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 right? That is not a marriage anymore. It ceases to be a marriage because there's no faithfulness. They can still be healed. There's things like retrovi. There's different programs to be healed. But that's there too. And the last one is, it has to be open to life. It has to be open to being fruitful. And in our culture, we've seen so many abortions happening. 65 plus million since Roe v. Wade was passed. When people are using contraception left and right. And I get there's different medical reasons why you might need to use it. But in general, if you're, if you're going into the nuptial embrace and you're not open to life... The marriage ceases to be a marriage because they start to use one another. And we all probably know in one way or another in our own lives what it feels like to be used by someone. And nobody wants that. So what do we do? What do we do? I have two things that I want to introduce you to that I want to encourage us to do. So one thing is we had a parishioner who donated a lot of money for a program called Forms, Right? And there's two at the, both at, at the exit here. There's a sign-up for this app or for the website. Um, but it has different talks on the faith. And one particular one is on annulments that I want us to listen to. And it talks about when love is not love. And actually, as a friend of mine, I was listening to it, she's on there. <laughs> and I had no idea until this morning when I was listening to this particular talk. And the other one is by a bishop who trained me in seminary. And it's called Catholic Teaching on Marriage and Annulments. Let's learn the truth and let's not hide in fear because annulments are healing. One thing my brother Nathan said when he went through his annulment, he said annulments are healing, right? The other thing is, if you're broken, well, welcome to the club, we're all broken in some way or another, but if you need help, if you need prayer, um, we're blessed enough, just 45 minutes away, we have people that are trained in deliverance prayer, we have people that are trained in healing prayer, and there are a couple of these signs throughout the church um, at St. Matthew's in Wausau, every second Sunday, so next Sunday, um, there are healing masses offered. So from 2 o'clock until 3.15, there is confession available. And then they have mass. And then they have healing prayer. And they have people to, to pray with you and talk with you. So if your marriage is struggling, or your children are struggling, or you are struggling, I want to encourage you to look at these two sources and not be afraid to seek help and to learn how to follow Jesus and how to learn about what the truth is about marriage instead of letting the world say what they say about marriage. But what is marriage, right? Is it free? Is it total? Is it fruitful? Is it faithful? Because as I finished my first Mass this morning, someone came up to me and handed me um, this. It's called Words of Wisdom If I Were the Devil by Paul Harvey. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But one thing it does say in here, it says, I would, if I were the devil, I would attack the family, the backbone of any nation. I would make divorce acceptable and easy, even fashionable. If the family crumbles, so does the nation. 
I would compel people to express their most depraved fantasies on canvas and movie screens, and I would call it art. I would convince the world that people are born homosexuals and that their lifestyles should be accepted and marveled. I would convince the people that right and wrong are determined by a few who call themselves authorities and refer to their agenda as politically correct. Let us ask better questions. Let us ask, how are you present this Lord, and what are you offering me? Because we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be selfish or selfless when it comes to our marriage and children? We have to ask ourselves, are we going to remain ignorant, or are we going to get, get formed with the truth? Because marriage is the backbone of any nation that we just heard. And Jesus said that marriage is between one male and one female, and the two become one flesh. That's God. And God knows more than us, and he has tons of answers to our questions. The question is, are we going to ask questions or not?